On Monday of this week, the Gavit Games announced its matchups for the uh, 2019 version of the event. Uh, the Gavit Games are a series of about eight matchups each year between the Big Ten and the Big East, named after Dave Gavit, who was the um, kind of the he was one of the founder of the Big East. He was the head of the NCAA tournament committee. He was at one point the president of the Celtics. But before that, he was the coach of Providence College, took him to the Final Four, and he was the athletic director later at Providence College. So he has a lot of ties to my my favorite team. Um, in previous years, Providence had played Illinois, and uh, they played Minnesota, uh, and they played Ohio State. And generally speaking, the games have been pretty much 4-4 splits every year. But this year, interesting matchup was announced. There were rumors. I had rumors on the message boards that it was going to be Rutgers at Providence, which is a matchup that everyone gets excited about. But <laughs> instead, <laughs> it's Providence at Northwestern. And uh, so when the, the uh, matchups came out, I got several texts and other messages asking me who I was going to root for, I was going to go to the game. Um, they haven't set the date for the game yet with my schedule right now the way it is with work and, and otherwise it doesn't seem feasible that I'm going to go out to Chicago for a relatively meaningless regular season game but it is the worlds colliding between my alma mater and my favorite team uh, when Providence travels to the new Welsh Ryan Arena in November um, to play uh, Northwestern a friend of mine Alex when um, he went to college together at Northwestern. I just saw him in Denver a couple weeks ago. He asked me who I would be rooting for. I told him probably Providence. One, I like Providence more, just straight like them more. And two, Northwestern looks like they're going to be pretty bad this year. Um, Northwestern was one of the worst teams in the Big Ten this year and lost Vic Law and Derek Pardon. Providence, obviously a disappointing season, but they were still better than Northwestern. Well, about the same as Northwestern, I guess, overall, maybe a little bit better, and they return a lot more. And a loss by Providence at Northwestern would be a pretty bad loss in its resume. Northwestern probably is not going to be worried about its NCAA tournament resume. What were your thoughts when you saw this matchup, Tom? Well, I felt for you, because it's not going to be too enjoyable, but I assumed you would root for Providence, just because you've root for, rooted for Providence longer. Uh, I've been with you when you've watched both games, and you're definitely more into the Providence games than you are to the Northwestern games, so I just sensed that your fandom uh, for Providence would win out. And again, I think Providence is always going to be in a position where it's going to probably need the game more than Northwestern, especially this year, the way the teams are lined up. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised by that. But a, a Brendan divided against itself cannot stand, so you're going to have to choose one. And, uh, yeah, I think I think you'll end up rooting for uh, the team in black. Has Kansas ever played uh, Columbia? Uh, not in my uh, tenure as a fan of both. So, no. That one I would root for Columbia because, A, they're not going to win, and <laughs> B... Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, I, I have a couple of uh, Kansas-related stories to tell you later, but uh, but first let's uh, let's cue the uh, cue the band. Double bonus the rest of the way. Double bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode 28 of the Double Bonus Podcast, along with Brendan DeRocher. I'm Tom Borstein. We have reached the period of the calendar where it is the unofficial summer between Memorial Day and the June solstice. Um, some people would call it the summer solstice, solstice, Brendan, but that's very Northern Hemispheric <laughs> biased, so we got to call it the June solstice. Uh, my if you're, listen, if you're listening in, uh, in Buenos Aires, you know yeah. what we're talking about. De nada. Uh, so yeah, it's we're in that period in New York where it's unpleasantly hot, which is going to be with us until September, 
And uh, yeah, welcome to a summer. It's been a busy summer. We just had the NBA draft withdrawal deadline, I would argue. And then uh, it was a good way to call it. And uh, we got some bunch of coaching news and some other stuff to talk about. Uh, before we get to that, Brendan, of course, our listeners should rate, review, and uh, the podcast apps, wherever you get them. Give us five stars or more. And uh, tell your friends. And uh, Brendan, how's your unofficial summer been going so far? Um, my unofficial summer has been like the busiest time <laughs> in my entire life. Like, not even joking. Um, I started a executive MBA program uh, last Sunday. So my Memorial Day weekend was we went down to Philly, my wife and I, uh, Friday afternoon, and then hang out with some friends Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, and then Sunday morning at nine, and basically until Friday evening at six. It was basically like nonstop uh, business school stuff, uh, classes, and um, you know, meeting new people, going out, and it was you know not all bad. Plus, I had to do two or three hours of work for work during that time because work does not stop just because I decided to uh, self-immolate uh, <laughs> at business school. Um, but yeah, it's been very busy, but in a, in a good way, I guess. I've you know I've met some cool people and. I'm learning a lot, and uh, you know who needs a social life anyway. How about you, Tom? It's been pretty good. I moved. I switched boroughs. I now live in Brooklyn from Queens, much to your chagrin and the chagrin of many other people who've known me. So well, after considering you're a socialist, that's about the right borough for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you like to challenge yourself. That's why you're going to business school. And you know, I also wanted to challenge himself. Apparently, is John Beeline because he left Michigan and is now the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I believe he signed a five-year deal with the Cavaliers, mm-hmm. and he will be taking his uh, considerable coaching experience to Cleveland, so Joakim Noah's least favorite city in the United States, and uh, Jawan Howard. one of his favorites, I just want to confirm. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was j- waiting for you to jump in on that. <laughs> Joakim Noah, no fan of Cleveland, John Beeline, fan of Cleveland, and Jawan Howard will replace him at Michigan. Uh, what are your thoughts first? Late timing by Beeline to go. I know this is a few weeks ago by now, but late timing after you know the coaching carousel had mostly stopped mm-hmm, spinning. Mm-hmm. He goes to he goes to the NBA, leaving Michigan where he played in two national championship games. Just you know, really elevated that program. Uh, did a lot of great things there, and now he's going to be in the NBA for a few years at least. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I've actually had time. It's been a while. I've, I've talked this out, um, you know, anecdotally with other. F- folks, including someone I met this week who, in the program who's a, a Michigan fan. Um, first of all, who dislikes Cleveland more? Is it Joakim Noah or is it um, Ichiro? Uh, well, the Joakim Noah quote, just to fill our listeners in, um, I maybe we'll link this on blog post. He said, Joakim Noah said, no one goes out in Cleveland, it's all factories. And then when asked, when asked if he regretted anything about the comments, he doubled down and said no. Why? You think Cleveland's cool? To the reporter asked the question. He's like, have you ever heard someone say, I want to go on vacation to Cleveland? So that's the Joakim Noah one. And then the Ichiro Suzuki one was the uh, Mariners, he was on the Mariners at the time, had a game snowed out in in Cleveland. They had to come back later in the year. And he said, am I happy to be going back to Cleveland? No. If I ever caught myself saying I'm happy to go to Cleveland, I'd punch myself in the face because I'd be lying. Mm. So I would say that Ichiro may dislike it more because he was just talking about a you know, like just a regular trip there, and he seemed pretty strin- uh, strident in his views. So yeah, I would say Ichiro dislikes him more. The underrated part of that quote seems like Ichiro's very little tolerance for lying, as well. Yeah, he's an like honorable he's... man. 
Yeah, and his interpreters, word-for-word translations of Itro was one of the best parts of Major League Baseball for Itro's career. Anyway, back to yeah, basketball. So back to Michigan. So, um, you know, there's a lot of speculation about why John Beeline decided to do this. Um, you know, he's pretty much coached at every every level. There's some speculation that, one, you know, everything revealed in the FBI investigations and John Beeline seeming to be a clean coach, like in some of these polls that they put out, he's the when they ask the question, like if if you had to, like basically bet your life that one major conference college coach is clean, who would it be? John, John Calipari wins. <laughs> John Calipari, Will Wade, and John Beeline usually go one, two, three in some order. Sean Miller, distant fourth. Um, John Beeline, uh, Mike Bray of Notre Dame is often on that list as well. Um, anyway, so. I, there was some speculation that he was just kind of fed up with having to kind of battle uphill and not be able to recruit the um, great players because other people were paying them. He'd bring players, and then the other thing, he'd bring players in, he'd develop them, and then they would leave early, even when they're not actually going to be drafted very high. We see uh, Iggy Brasdakis, we see Jordan Poole, and Charles Matthews all yeah. leaving early. Although Matthews has been a four-year player, he's, he just sat out as a transfer, so he's actually age-wise um, a senior in age. And so... Uh, you know, if they brought those three guys back, and none of those guys are going to be first-round picks, probably maybe one or two of them get drafted in the second round, then um, Michigan almost certainly would have been a preseason top-five team. Without them, you know, it would have been a struggle. And this is probably his last chance to do the NBA thing if he wanted to do it. Um, the NBA college coach thing is a, is a matter of personality, it seems like. The NBA lifestyle, relatively speaking, seems to be a much higher quality of life, work-life balance. You get some time off in the summer. Uh, you don't have to worry about recruiting and speaking circuits and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you also don't get to bring in your own players. And so the college gig has a lot more control. And so if you like to be in control of your destiny, and you, you have a lot more control in college. Um, so you know, at this point in his career, maybe John Beeline would like a little less control, a different challenge, and a better work-life balance. And that's why I went to. That's my speculation about why I went to the NBA. What are your thoughts? I think that makes sense. I think he probably wants the challenge. He's done almost everything he can do at Michigan, uh, except win a national title. He's gone to two national title games, as I said. That's pretty good. He's a perennial um, top ten team. Um, deep runs the last two years in the NCAA tournament, obviously. Uh, and what's to, as I've said before on the show, the thing that impressed me most about this his tenure was just how he basically he could win either way at Michigan. He uh, won with offense during the first part of this little run. The Louisville, te- the team that went to the championship game, lost to Louisville, was a defensive first, uh, sorry, offensive first team. And then the last few years, um, it's been under I think Luke Yaklich is his name, the uh, defensive specialist. It's been a defense first team. So that's pretty versatile, pretty versatile for Beeline uh, to do that. Um, again, the timing is right for him to do it because he's never going to get another chance. Uh, Cleveland is going to be a mess in the NBA, but we'll see what he can do. John Beeline, 66 years old. Bill Belichick, who's been around forever in the NFL, is 67 years old. So if he can still cut it in the NFL and he doesn't seem to be going anywhere, I feel like Beeline has like five or six years to kind of just have one more challenge in his life and see what happens. But uh, it's it's I would be tough, I would think, to just go from... I mean, he knows basketball really well. From what everyone says, he loves teaching the finer points of the game. Maybe he can do that with some younger players in the NBA or players he brings in. Uh, but it's got to be tough to just go from like a com- controlled environment where you know everything. You're like the man. You have pretty great job security in Ann Arbor to go to the NBA where the average NBA lifespan is, what, two and a half years, two years as a head coach. So it's a mm-hmm. tricky situation. But I'm sure he has enough money to just take that risk and then just do what he wants for the rest of his life. 
Yeah, from the Michigan perspective, um, you know, I I don't have much sympathy for Michigan. I did really like John Beeline um, as a it coach really and as a person. Really, up a burden for you, Brendan. Now you can just root against Michigan. <laughs> yeah, no I, used to, I used to have a uh, be very conflicted because John Beeline, when I used to do kind of writing and reporting for uh, a part time job or a freelance gig, he was one of the best to work with, uh, very generous with his time and, and generally speaking, uh, a very courteous, nice gentleman in, in my experience. Um, so I don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, but, you know, for Michigan, this is at really, really bad timing. Um, I was talking about this with this gentleman that I met this week. I would have been inclined to go more of an interim route to have to promote Luke Yoklich, who you had mentioned, had brought uh, a different level of defense to Michigan. Seems like a defensive savant. Obviously, he doesn't have this, that much experience with recruiting at high level. He was a high school coach just a few years ago. So there was clearly some risk there. But there's also risk in committing to a long-term contract with a coach in Juwan Howard who doesn't have experience in college and is a little bit more of a risk. It felt like Michigan could have gotten a safer coach with still the high ceiling that Juwan Howard might have. Once they were unable to get Billy Donovan. I'm not sure whether they, how much they tried for him. That seemed like to be the one guy that they, that it fit because Billy Donovan's a co- an NBA coach, and so he had just finished his season, so he wasn't part of like the coaching carousel in March. But Donovan decided to stay at Oklahoma City. Um, I would have looked at Yaklich, seen how it went for a year. I know that might hurt your recruiting for a short period of time, but then if it doesn't work out next March, you can make him a, a top assistant again, or have, or you can move on to a different. Uh, school, and then you can do a full search with probably a much wider uh, band of candidates who, and you probably could get a, a a guy who's a little bit more proven. I think that with the timing the way it was, there weren't that many candidates willing to take that leap. Um, so Yaklich ended up actually taking a job as an assistant at Texas, which I think is a different kind of strange story. That Shaka Smart, known as a defensive kind of pressing genius at VCU hasn't been able to implement that style at Texas, and now he brings in Luke Yaklich, who doesn't have that style at all, to kind of transform the Texas defense in a year where Shaka needs to do very well, and I think actually they could have a very good team there. But in Michigan, now you have Juwan Howard, who I think has a good chance to be successful, has almost no chance to be as as good as John Beeline, but but that's not the direction I would have gone, I don't think. Well, I think that you look at the early or the most recent examples of co- players coaching with little or no experience. You have Chris Mullen, bad. Um, you have um, Patrick Ewing, Jerry's out. You have Penny Hardaway, Jerry's out, but early returns are good, and he just landed a top recruiting class. Um, I forget. Those are like the most recent examples of just come, and then now Juwan Howard. So I think they really are banking on it being similar to the Penny Hardaway, where we can get some big. He, he has that credibility. He can get the big players. He has the brand of a big school behind him. And that's half the battle. And then if you get some quality assistance around him, uh, it'll work. But I don't disagree with you at all. I feel like in a situation like this, you can just go um, kind of shuffle the deck for a little bit and just ride it out and see what happens. But they've committed to Jawan Howard, and we'll see how that works. But I think that there's just it's a new fad in trying to bring in these players to coach with limited experience. And it's not something that's like, oh, this is a slam dunk deal uh, that's going to work out. So we'll see. But... Um, Howard very emotional at his news conference introduced, cried a lot so he will care, that's great but we'll see uh, how it comes when he's coaching against the Tom Izzo and the other coaches in the Big Ten that'll uh, very experienced people out there Yeah, um, 
we don't even have to work that hard to uh, shoehorn in Providence and Kansas talk on the, on the show uh, because they actually – Providence and Kansas-related storylines were heavy in the news over the last month, and one of those was about the Michigan job where um, apparently Ed Cooley was a finalist, one of the, the two finalists along with Juwan Howard. There's some discussion about whether Ed Cooley pulled out because he didn't – he thought he was going to get the job or whether he was even potentially informally offered the job and turned it down. I, I don't – know that we can ever know that, and I don't think that's really important. Uh, but obviously, from my perspective, Ed Cooley leaving at this time would have been pretty much would have been devastating to Providence as a program, as much as there might be some small kind of on-the-margins ways that I wish Ed Cooley did things differently, namely with how with the offense he runs. Um, you know, he's revitalized the, the team. He's put them in the national news more and more. He has a great, potentially great team coming back next year and a kind of consistently bringing in solid recruits, even if some of them haven't worked out quite as well as expected. Uh, they made uh, they made five NCAA tournaments for this year. So um, he got an extension, although last year, two years ago, I thought he had signed a lifetime contract. So I don't know how you're going to get an extension on a lifetime contract. Maybe that's why you say at a Catholic school, there's some kind of thing you can do with uh, the Pope um, and extend your life by a couple <laughs> the years. Or the afterlife. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was big news for the Friars, him coming back um, and maybe... You know, I was talking to the, the same gentleman I kept mentioning, like being a Northwestern alum and a Providence fan, you know, Northwestern has Pat Fitzgerald as a college, as the football coach, and Providence has Ed Cooley as the basketball coach, two coaches that are probably overqualified for the schools they are based on the history of those schools, or at least the recent history. Obviously, Providence has quite good history back in the 60s and 70s. Um, and, but the fact that they have these ties, Ed Cooley being a Providence native, uh, Pat Fitzgerald obviously being an alumnus of Northwestern, this is a an opportunity for the schools to, uh, for fans of the schools to have kind of golden eras of their schools and those programs. Um, and then the goal would be that when eventually Ed Cooley and Pat Fitzgerald either leave or retire, you know, they're both, Pat Fitzgerald is especially quite young, so retirement's a long way off for him, um, that the, what they've been able to do the programs and lift them up will translate to maybe there's like a slightly higher kind of mean for the programs moving forward. And if Eggley left now, I'm not sure if that would have been the case. Maybe whenever he leaves, Providence will have problems, major problems. But I'm at least hopeful that if he stays another 10, 15 years or 5, 10, 15 years and, just, and then retires or goes to a bigger school or goes to the NBA, that you know Providence has had successful runs since then, maybe a couple of NCAA tournament runs, and then the next coach sees it as a more attractive job than they would have, you know, when Keno Davis or Tim Welsh had uh, had left. Yeah, and at least when he leaves, at least have the hope. Hope he has the decency. I'm joking, decency, but to leave at the conventional time in the calendar, not well after the coaching search has begun, because it would be a major short-term problem for Providence to lose Cooley to Michigan now, and like there's no real, you can't really get any coach that you would want. You have a very small field to choose from. Um, so that's just the first thing. And then, of course, long term, just like the, the the level of job it is and also just, you know, how stable the program is. So if he can stay five years, but if he leaves like right after the final four, then it'll be much better for Providence than if he left right now. It'll just be better in the short, like just the little micro sense of the calendar and the just bigger picture of the program. So, yeah. yeah. And, the, Plus, and the other part about it is that Michigan fans were not a fan of that when there was rumors that there was actually a student at Providence, like a, in the radio station, who announced said that Ed Cooley is expected to accept a position with Michigan. Which is clearly, it was wrong, but it was maybe almost that close. Uh, the fans at Michigan really wanted Juwan Howard and really didn't want Ed Cooley, so it would have been a weird 
decision for him to go from a school where he's beloved, where he's at home, he's always coached in New England his entire career, whether it's as a grad assistant at Stonehill College to being an assistant at University of Rhode Island and Boston College and a head coach at Fairfield, now head coach at Providence. He's basically done the, the you know five schools in three states in a very small geographical region. Um, then to go to Michigan in another conference for the fan base where he'd immediately be kind of um, in the crosshairs, I guess. Um, I mean, I think he would win people over pretty quickly because of his personality, but he'd be prepared to win and win big in a way that he hasn't in terms of the NCAA tournament, at least at Providence. Yeah. One last thing on Michigan I should be, I would be remiss if I did not mention is the best gift that circulated after John Beeline took the job at Cleveland was him standing in front of John Harbaugh. When, Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, sorry, when he was on camera at a basketball game just pretending to be Harbaugh making the gesticulations and the pain faces because he knew that they were taking a shot with both of them in there. Just shows how he has a sense of humor and is not above making fun of his uh, counterpart at the other big sport in uh, Ann Arbor. So yeah, it was a good it was a good reminder that trickled up again. Uh, still not as good as the Bruce Pearl gif from the first round game against New Mexico State, I believe it was, but nonetheless very good. And the well, what made it funny in part, or maybe less funny, is that Michigan was up by like. 24 points or oh, something yeah. like that yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So since we last spoke, we've had the uh, the FBI trials have ended, um, and Will Wade still has a job, and also had his um, strong-ass offer uh, man return to campus, Javante Smart. Sean Miller still has a job, um, and Arizona and LSU are looking like they could be top 25 teams. If you look at uh, Gary Parrish's top 25-1, and one, he has LSU at 25th. And he has Arizona at 14th. Um, so I don't, you know, this is not a morality play. And certainly there's a lot of integrity issues with the NCAA in general. But um, do you have any thoughts on the fact that the two people most connected to in the last couple of months to some of these investigations, Sean Miller and Will Wade, still have jobs and still have teams that um, are likely to be NCAA tournament teams, if not uh, Sweet 16 teams potentially this year? Yeah, well... I think that anyone hoping that the FBI trials exposing things about coaches would make schools extra eager to dismiss head coaches obviously misread the situation because there's enough here to just go after the coaches. Uh, Will Wade's got a lot of issues with the wiretaps and same with Sean Miller, and yet they're both there. And who knows, the NCAA is eventually, I suspect, going to do something for at least Sean Miller. But it's just uh, the idea that the schools would get it, quote unquote, get out ahead of it and dismiss them is not going to happen. So remember, Will Wade was already suspended, and they brought him back. So LSU, with the way Tennessee uh, got devastated by early um, uh, departures for the NBA draft, they're going to be right in the mix for the SEC with Kentucky again. Uh, and Arizona, the Pac-12 stinks. Uh, I'm not really crazy about. I don't know how. You, how can you, as an Arizona fan, I feel like you have just almost no plausible deniability anymore. So it makes me pretty queasy. I'm saying this is a Kansas fan. I think it's like a step above what's going on with Kansas, because, of course, they were implicated in the trials as well. I would just feel very uneasy about rooting for Sean Miller. I'd almost, if I were an Arizona fan, I almost want to eat it right now, just for fear of what the NCAA could do with Sean Miller when they investigate in a year or two, if they do anything. But, um, I don't know, it's a very, it's, yeah, the, I, I think that the trials ended up being a disappointment just because they were overpromised by the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, but at the same time, they did shed enough light, and these guys seem to be very lucky to still uh, be employed, and they're it's because their their schools just don't seem to be too eager to just you know go get ahead of the game and cut ties. 
Yeah, one thing I wanted to jump on, uh, the Pac-12, not really related to the FBI trials, but uh, a couple of recruiting things that happened recently that might uh, shift the balance of power from the south in on the west coast up to the north is, uh, first off, Washington signed Jaden McDaniels. Um, he was down to Washington and Kentucky, I guess. He's a number seven recruit in ESPN. Joins Isaiah Stewart's number three recruit. So Washington has two of the top seven recruits, at least according to ESPN 100, to join Mike Hopkins on a team that could be quite good this year. Uh, they obviously won the, the Pac-12 um, in the regular season, uh, ended up losing in the conference final, and then with a fairly early exit in the NCAA tournament. Um, two... Dennis Rodman's son, DJ Rodman, has signed on to play with friend Kyle Smith at Washington Ooh, State. Really? Yeah. So DJ Rodman is a six-six forward from San Juan Capistrano in California, and he's now part of a six-player recruiting class, um, which also includes a player from the Ukraine. Sorry, just I think it's just Ukraine. Uh, let's see if I can pronounce this. Volodymyr Markovetsky. I think that was pretty close. And then an Australian point guard named Ryan Rapp. Um, and a, a grad transfer from Colorado State. So it's a, it's a, an eclectic group that he's assembling there. Uh, maybe he'll get an inroad into um, North Korean basketball player market. Uh, now that <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say when if when DJ Rodman is a senior, they're gonna schedule a trip to North Korea so he can, so he can play in North Korea. A goodwill tour. Uh, yeah. Uh, but to the trials, I, I don't have much more to say. Um, you know, I, I would have uh, definitely fired Sean Miller. If I were the AD, but uh, I don't know. You know, in the situation, maybe one, <laughs> what the buyouts are. Clearly, LSU was not willing to pay a buyout for to get Will Wade out. They wanted to fire him for cause, and they didn't feel like they had the enough evidence to do that. And it would have been a long period. Should have called, called up UConn. See you. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Ollie fired for cause, uh, and the cause was really being really bad at basketball. Um, uh, so. I don't know what the buyout is for Sean Miller at Arizona either, but and also you don't know, you know, if the co- the AD fires the coach in either situation, LSU's AD I know is in a little bit of hot water already with just the way things have been going at that program across all sports. You know, in Arizona, their big program is basketball. If they fire their head coach in basketball, is the AD's job at risk too? So maybe yeah. it's just better to ride it out and see if they can weather it, like we saw at Auburn, where Bruce Pearl. Went to the Final Four, got an extension, and has things rolling. And I'm sure the AD is feeling uh, breathing a sigh of relief, despite the fact that Chuck Person uh, pled guilty to um, whatever the charges were, some sort of corrupt fraud or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it doesn't make him a bad guy. <laughs> um, so we've had a few developments on both the recruiting front and then we had the NBA draft, who's in, who's out front. Um but I kind of want to – maybe we can talk through a, a few of those things related to Kansas. Um, in the program this week, I met this woman. Her name's Ashley. She lives in New, in New York. She went to Kansas, and on the night that I was married, this, also the night that Kansas beat North Carolina in one of the epic Final Four matchups of the last uh, f- 15 years when uh, Bill Willie Packer famously announced it's over in the first half, um, and then can, North Carolina came back, but Kansas still won. That night, the, my best man uh, put another groomsman who was a big Kansas fan on his shoulders and paraded him up and down Third Avenue in, uh, in you know the I guess it was would be the Midtown East in New York, and she said the same night her friend of hers put her on her her friend's shoulders as they were kind of r- rallying and cheering in Lawrence, Kansas. So we have that connection. Maybe at some point you guys can meet and talk about uh, Adonis Jordan or um, 
you know, Wayne Selden or something. Uh, sure. But Kansas has been in the middle of everything. They had a player re- be reinstated. They had a player they thought they were going to get end up going to Australia. They had a player remove his name for the draft and transfer. Another player remove his name for the draft and, and come back. Another player stay in the draft. Uh, talk to me about what's going on. What does it feel like to be a Kansas fan in the last couple of weeks? I would say overall net positive. We had Azubuke come back, which was thinking was going to happen. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Good job there. Then we had um, Sylvia D'Souza reinstated, which is good for the program. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying it's good for the program. I'm not saying it's like good for the sport. The way you said it, though, the way you were like, you has, it was a hesitation. That was yeah. made it funny. No, it's a definitely good for Kansas. I just I can sympathize with the people out there who were like, why is Sylvia D'Souza getting to play for Kansas? Like, he didn't do anything wrong yet, just for those of you unfamiliar. He was, uh, his guardian was offered tens of thousands of dollars from a booster or an Adidas person. It's like uh, CJ Gasnola, right? That's the guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't keep, I can't keep track of all the names. But he was, they were, he was offered money and that swayed him to go to Kansas. The NCAA discovered this fact and said, no, 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 you can't play for Kansas because your guardian was paid. And that's a reasonable take. But then they banned him for two years, which effectively ends his college career. So he's like, screw this, I'm going to enter the NBA draft. But then Kansas worked with him to appeal, and he ended up uh, winning the appeal, so he only lost last season. So he is back, and he has come back to Kansas. So now the people say, well, maybe he should just be reinstated to college basketball. It wasn't his fault, but he can't play for Kansas. So Kansas can't benefit from the thing. I don't disagree with that. But as a Kansas fan, I'm not going to lose too much sleep over him playing for uh, the Jayhawks next season. So that was good. Then they had uh, Quentin Grimes withdraw from the NBA draft. And I was like, oh, wow, he's coming back to the backcourt to join Devon Dotson. Well, he is coming out of the NBA draft, but he is transferring, mostly because Devon Dotson pushed him off the ball and made him play the two-guard, and he's not a very good shooter right now, and he's trying to showcase himself. Um, he was a highly touted recruit, and he was playing out of position, he felt, and not really getting the, runs he, the run he wanted. So he's going to transfer. He's going to sit out a year, most likely, and then play somewhere else. Uh in two years so tough break for Dotson it didn't work out for Grimes it didn't work out for him at Kansas um Dotson coming back is very good he was very athletic very fast for Kansas last year one of the main problems with Kansas was that they couldn't shoot from the outside so maybe he can develop a shot uh but that was uh very good as well uh the bad news for Kansas is just the lack of recruiting success they've had uh, this is one of the weaker classes they've had come in. They were targeting RJ Hampton. He, of course, made some waves by going to Australia, and he's going to play there for a year. And he's probably one of the last high-profile guys who's going to go overseas when the is when the current NBA collective bargaining agreement runs out. Uh, there won't be any more uh, restrictions on one on age limits, so he he would have been able to jump right to the NBA. And then Kansas lastly lost out on Precious Sachua, a top recruit who's going to go to Memphis, who joins a very stacked recruiting class uh, for Penny Hardaway in Memphis. But overall, Kansas, uh, you look around the top 25s preseason now, they're as high as five, I think I saw somewhere. Uh, John Rothstein, maybe. Don't quote me on who it was. But then I've, they're consistently in the top 15 and considered a Final Four contender. They have a pretty good front court now, assuming Azubuki stays healthy, which is a big if, given his health concerns. Uh, D'Souza's back. Um, and you know, get David McCormick, who should yeah, be David better. McCormick, yes. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of options down there for Kansas. Um, so it's going to be uh, interesting. Bill Self's kind of um, stuck it together with duct tape as far as like re- rebuilding this team on the fly here. They of course lose Dedrick Lawson, who's not going to be a first round pick probably, but uh, and had one year of eligibility left, but he decided to leave, which makes sense. Um, 
they'll have Marcus Garrett back, who'll be good. They'll have Ochai Abaji, who will play a full season. You remember, he was going to redshirt last year until Azubuke was out for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also lose the Gerald Vick. Um, so Kansas is putting the pieces in uh, pretty nicely uh, for next year. Um, so overall, net positive, even though they're really at the center of everything going on in college basketball with the with the payments and also it's just you know the recruiting classes and also the, um, the R.J. Hampton business. Yeah, I do worry. Is K.J. Lawson coming back? No, he's out. He's gone. Oh, he's gone too. He, where's yeah, and he going? Charlie Moore. Uh, they're both transferring. Oh, so looking at it, so they have Devin Dotson, Marcus Garrett, O'Shea Agbaji, Desusa Azabuki, and then off the bench Lightfoot and McCormick. Right, That's, and they have this guy. I forget his name. I'm going to tell you the recruits in a second. They also have. And they don't have any top fifty recruits. Yeah, they have Isaac McBride, who's pretty highly regarded, and then um, I'm not sure if Jalen Wilson's decided where he's going um yeah maybe but, this maybe this tells us uh, all we need to know about college basketball next season and how the talent might be a little bit low if it, if that team that i just said which is fine it's a good team is is actually like a top century top five, potential top five team because it it feels like it's really missing out on shooting it should have pretty good interior defense and then you have dotson and garrett in the backcourt which is interesting but very little depth um but i, I guess like they have four players dotson well, I really three players: Dotson, Abaji, and Azabuki, who probably could be top fifteen players in in the Big Twelve, which is pretty good. Um, just not that much depth. Yeah, it'll be tricky. Um, and the but Big Twelve is really good, obviously. Yes, and Texas might be better. Texas Tech is, can lose everybody and be good again, apparently. So it's gonna be tough for Kansas, but I think that it could have been worse. And I think that like the of the developments that happened, it could have broken a lot worse. Uh, Dotson could have stayed in the draft. Um, they could not have gone into Sousa back, and that's those both are plausible. And who knows what would happen? So, um, it's a net positive for them. Yeah, R.J. Hampton going to uh, he was he was looking at Texas Tech, Kansas, and Memphis, and apparently his dad said he would have gone to Kansas if he'd stayed. But it, it seems like for the last month or so, most people thought he was going to go overseas. I, I don't think it was publicly reported as such, but you know the scuttlebutt I guess had him going overseas to either Australia. Or to China, he's technically playing in New Zealand, but it's part of the Australian league. Um, he, it's interesting strategically. It's actually like a a low risk play for him because he's not going to be as heavily scouted. He's not going to be up against as, as basically either he plays against worse talent in the league or he plays against grown men, and then people are like, well. You know, oh, his strats weren't that great, but he was playing against, you know, grown men. And whereas, you know, other players we've seen um, in college come in, like we've seen Quentin Grimes, for instance. Um, and many every year there's a couple of guys where it's like, whoa, that guy was a top 10, uh, supposed to be a top 10 pick. And then they come in and then they, they their stock goes way down. Scala Bissier is another example. Um, so he actually limits his risk of being exposed since he's on national television all the time and not playing the Big 12. Uh, by going to Australia, and it's really like a um, if he plays poorly, it's like oh he was trying to adjust for being ten thousand miles away from home, and he was playing against grown men. If he plays well, and it's like oh great, then either way, I don't think his draft stock will drop very much unless he has a serious injury. So I think it's interesting, kind of risk mitigation play actually for um, for R.J. Hampton. Um, Plus, you get paid legally. That's also a benefit. Yeah, I mean you could have gotten paid legally in the G League, but that's also probably oh, yeah. um, more more legally. Yeah. yeah. Um, he does lose some marketing opportunities by not playing in college, but probably at the same some time, fun as well. I think it's probably a yeah. lot more fun to play at Kansas than it would have been. Than it's going to be to play in New Zealand, but yeah, well, you can see some learn a new language. You can learn to see some of the world. 
see like some alpacas or something. I don't know what they have out there. This is where my wife would come go, in. She knows about the animals. Go on a Lord of the Rings tour, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Watch watch them fight the Concords to get ready for the accent. Yeah. Um, you talk, you mentioned Memphis. Uh, you mentioned Precious Achua. Uh, but so the next the last two topics really are going to be some uh, talking about Memphis a little bit because they've been in the, another team that's been in the middle of the news the last couple of months, and then talking about who's uh, staying, who's going in the NBA draft, particularly who's staying. Um, so Memphis is considered a top five team by many, at least top ten. Uh, this is a team that last year was um, Penny Hardaway's first year. They obviously didn't have that much talent, but they still finished 56th in Ken Palm, which is actually quite impressive. Starting the season 107th and moving to 56th, they won 22 games before losing to Creighton in the um, NIT second round. And they've now brought in the best recruiting class in the country. Uh, that class includes, as you mentioned, Precious Achua. It includes who's the highest rated one according to no, it's a James Wiseman number one overall in the class. He's from Memphis. Precious Achua is from the Bronx. He's going down there. Um, and then as you scroll down, they have DJ Jeffries, who I think originally was committed to Kentucky or like at least seemed like a Kentucky lean. Uh, they have Rajon Ellis or Boogie Ellis, as they say, who apparently was a strong lean towards Duke until Trey Jones decided to return. Um, and they also. They they have Lester Quinones, who's like a, a the eighty first ranked recruit. I don't really know much about him, but um, they also were um, they had Rajon Tucker, who for a period of time he was a transfer from Arkansas Little Rock, maybe the most sought after transfer on the on the market, except for um, Blackshear. Uh, why am I forgetting his name from Virginia Tech, uh, who still hasn't committed to where he's going to go. Um, let me f- figure out his name so I don't sound stupid. He's a very good player. Kerry Blackshear Jr. Yeah, I want to say Wayne Blackshear, but that's someone different. Kerry Blackshear. Wait, who who is Wayne Blackshear? Are you conflating uh, Wayne? I think Wayne Blackshear played at Louisville. Yeah, that's who I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Rajon Tucker was sought after by Iowa State, by Kansas. Um, Baylor also was interested in him, and he decided to commit to Memphis. But now he's not actually going to Memphis. Uh, he's going pro. And he would have been one of the few veteran players they would have had in that backcourt. And so without him, they're going to have a very, very young team. But many are still picking them to be in the top five. I think part of it is just like in terms of roster talent, they probably do have a top five or ten roster in the country. Maybe maybe it's not even questionable that they have a top five roster in the country. Um, but you also have an inexperienced coach, and you also have a very inexperienced roster. Uh, so they're somewhat controversial, and they'll be one of the most watched teams of the season next year. What are your thoughts on uh, on Memphis? I think they're a big unknown. I think they can be – we've seen teams come out of the American and be very dangerous, like Houston last year. I think they can win that league and get into the top you know, three and two seed. But it's a lot of, it's a lot of work to coach taking your first big class and make them gel and play together um, in um, – in college basketball another hope because houston is supposed to be down uh next year because some nba departures so that may help uh hardaway and do well in that league but uh it's a it's a big there's a big difference between going from hundreds in the low hundreds in ken palm to 56 in ken palm and going from 50, the 50s in ken palm to the top 20 and top 15 in ken palm so yes he has the horses he seems to be recruiting very well uh obviously based on the class he is um but then getting them to play well is another story and i've heard people say like well the top recruiting class in the country is always this always that well the top recruiting the class in the country is always duke and or kentucky so <laughs> for, for, you already already have a great coach unquestionably great coach and 
a pretty solid thing to work on. When was the last time Duke or Kentucky came into the came into a season coming off a 50th ranked Ken Palm season? Probably the uh, Kentucky team after Nerlens Noel got hurt, and that's the last time they were like a team was that bad entering the next year. So it's not just the recruiting class that's going to be the factor. You have some, you always have one or two upperclassmen helping out those teams. So I think we should stop before we say it's a foregone conclusion that Memphis will be very good next year and like a top three seed and a top 15, 20 team in Kempom. Uh, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. And uh, we'll see. It's gonna be, they're going to be one of the most intriguing teams to watch uh, next year. And we know that Gary Parrish will be trumpeting their every move because he loves all things Memphis. So good yeah, Kentucky was 55th that season at Kempom when they had uh, that New Orleans Noel class. It was Noel, Alex Poitras, Willie Cauley-Stein, uh, Archie Goodwin, uh, that was that class. Uh, Gary Parrish pointed out the last time a team was returning at least three players who averaged five points a game or some kind of stat like that, plus uh, getting the number one recruiting class was John Calipari's first year at Kentucky when they brought in DeMarcus Cousins, John Wall, Eric Bledsoe, Daniel Orton um, to go along with returning players like Patrick Patterson and Darius Miller and DeAndre Liggins, but obviously a different situation there. Um, so I guess the question is, where would you put, if you were to set an over-under for Memphis in final end-of-year Ken Palm ranking, what would it be? Uh, 14. 14, okay. Yeah, I think I will, I'm not sure which way it was over, which way is under. I think I'll take the, the worst side of that. I think they won't be a top, I think they'll be not a top 14 team in Ken Palm. I think they'll be out of the top okay. 14. Is that an but okay I, over under? Did I set that was good? Yeah, yeah I think that's okay. pretty good. I think okay. I think we're probably both a little bearish on Memphis relative to the national uh, uh, reputation. I also am kind of annoyed with Penny Hardaway's like just his disposition and attitude. You know, he's going after Rick Barnes, who obviously has I have some soft feelings for Rick Barnes, um, and he just seems like a little bit. I mean, I guess you got to be a little bit arrogant to be in the position he's in in general, but uh, it seems a little bit un- unnecessary at times considering what he has not done as a college coach. I'm, I, I'm not tend to be one of the, like, prove yourself before you can say anything type of person, but, you know, sometimes it's good to just lay low for a year or so and then speak people on the court, and then you can you can talk. Um, but that Memphis, the Tennessee obviously has lost, and this is probably a good transition, actually, into the our last topic, which is who's in, who's out, who's going to the NBA draft, and who's not. Uh, Tennessee's a team um, that was hurt by, you could say, like, I want to say 50-50, because a lot of these guys, obviously, some of them probably tell their friends exactly what they're going to do from the very beginning. I'm not sure how many of them are actually not sure what they're going to do when they declare for the NBA draft. Like Miles Powell, for instance, at Seton Hall, I think he was always going to come back, but he was working right. out for the Kings. I had a friend, my, my, my friend who's a Kings fan would, sit, would be like, hey, Miles Powell's working out for the Kings. What do you think of him? You know, But I think he was always coming back. And who knows? Jordan Bone, a very good point guard for Tennessee. Maybe he was always going pro, but it became official um, earlier this week, um, when he he announced, and or he, or he decided not to withdraw from the draft, and that's a big loss for Tennessee, especially when they already lose Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. It looks like it might be a, somewhat of a rebuilding season for um for Tennessee, although they are bringing in higher quality recruits than the set of players like Jordan Bone and Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams, who helped drive Tennessee to number one ranking, uh, even though the NCAA tournament run didn't really materialize because of uh, the weird um, finish to the Purdue-Tennessee game this year. Um, are, are, are there some names that stick out to you in terms of who's staying, who's going? 
You mentioned Bone. The other guy I would talk about is Anthony Cowan Jr., who's coming back to Maryland, who's now popped up a lot in some top 10 lists and some mm-hmm. top 15 lists. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be good for uh, that for them to have him back. Uh, of course, they lost to LSU. LSU in the second round. So they, uh, they, yeah, I don't know if you say they've underachieved recently, but uh, it'll be good to have him back. Um, of course, we talked about the Kansas guys. And then Louisville is the other team. Uh, Jordan Nuora is coming back. Steve Enoch is coming back. Uh, people seem very high on Louisville entering next season. Um, they were 20-14 and 14 last season. They weren't like world beaters, and now they're getting these players back. So uh, we shall see. Um, but they're ranked consistently pretty high on a lot of these. Uh, they're ranked fourth in Gary Parrish's top 25-1, and one, for example. Um, so they have another good recruiting class coming in. It's just so hard to say with these recruiting classes. Like, think about how high everyone was was on Nevada slash Nevada last year, and how just they laid the, like they had a lot of transfers coming in. Those are those are even a bigger body of work sometimes than high school players because you can see what they did at the college level, even if it's mm-hmm. at smaller schools. And they just fell flat and totally disappointed. So there's a lot of wild cards, and they they were considered a short thing to be a top ten team, and they finished. Uh, where they finished like 20-something, right? So yeah, They were 27. Uh, a lot of those teams you just mentioned are all in the same area of Ken Palm last year. So yeah. Louisville, you mentioned, was 23rd. Maryland was 24th. Texas was 25th. Nevada was yeah. 27th. Um, yeah, Louisville and Maryland are a couple of interesting cases because Maryland returns everyone except for Bruno Fernando, but as much as you know, Bruno Fernando wasn't a perfect player, he was clearly their best player last year. Um, they returned Jalen Smith, who was a very high recruit, and will be able to take that center position. And they returned Anthony Cowan, you just mentioned, who was probably their second best player last year and, and a close second to Bruno Fernando. Um, Daryl Morsel uh, is back, and so is uh, Eric Ayala. And Ricky Lindo, they, you know, they have some good guys. Uh, you know, Mark Turgeon, I'm looking at kind of his, uh, his Kempom record. He's been at Maryland eight years. He's made four NCAA tournaments. Uh, and he's made it out of the first weekend once, and that was in 2016. So I think, so I think it is fair to say they underachieved. I think yeah. that's fair. At a, at a program like Maryland, with their history, although obviously they've had a, a kind of a strange arc where they never made a Final Four for a very long time, despite having a lot of great teams. They had the Lambay situation, the Gary Williams years. So it's, it's, I, I'm not sure. Maryland might be one of the harder teams to determine like where they actually stand in the pecking order for college basketball. I think actually Michigan is in that category too. Michigan had some very good teams in the 70s, went to the national championship game in the 80s. They had Bill Frieder, and they underachieved a little bit in the NCAA tournament. Then they won it all with Steve Fisher, got the Fab Five. Post-Fab Five, they were always underachieving, and they got on probation, brought in Tommy Amaker, and never went to the NCAA tournament, and they brought in John Beeline, had this renaissance. Like, where, like, where are Maryland and Michigan in, yeah. in the overall rankings? Like, are they – they could be top 15, top 10. Well, maybe not top 10, but top 15. Or maybe, but maybe they're more like 25 to 30 or 20 to 30. I, I don't know where you would rank them in terms of if every school had a job opening and everyone knew who the best coaches were and had a ranking of the top 100 coaches in America, like – and they just slotted in, oh, the best coach gets this job, second best coach, like whether it's Kentucky or North Carolina or Kansas or whatever it might be. Like where would Maryland and Michigan rank? Maybe we should do a, we should do a draft maybe next time or something like that. I think but. Michigan I would I would put Michigan ahead of Maryland. I think but that's interesting. Also Maryland didn't help the clarity of the situation by switching conferences after the twenty fourteen season. So it's a yeah, there's a lot of it's up in the air. But I would still say Maryland being a you know a former ACC power now in the Big Ten really should have gone past the uh, second weekend of the tournament more than once under uh, Turgeon. Do you remember who they lost to the only time they made it out of the first uh, weekend under Mark Turgeon? They lost in the Sweet 16. Yeah, they lost to Kansas, didn't they? That's true. They lost to Kansas. 
Um, the in Kansas right? ended up losing in Louis eight to, uh, to Villanova. Villanova. Yeah. yeah, that I was. I might, the... have, I might have been at that game. Let's just leave it. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> um, it was not close, if I remember correctly. The uh, the Kansas Maryland game. That was a, that was a really good Kansas team. They ran into a buzzsaw yeah. in Villanova. Um, Devonte Graham, I will go to my grave. That was not a foul. Should not have fouled out. Yeah, I remember that play. Uh, I thought it could go either way. Um, <laughs> uh, some other names are coming back. Um, you, you mentioned the Louisville guys. Uh, Nemius Cueta is a guy that actually I thought for sure was going to go pro, um, but he's coming back to Utah State, and Craig Smith uh, has got things rolling a little bit there. That could be a quite good team uh, next year. Killian Tilly coming back to Gonzaga, um, another kind of mid-major um, that might have a slightly l- a smaller drop-off than probably might be expected because Killian Tilly is coming back. Of course, he didn't play a lot this year because of injuries, but he probably will be the best player on the team, a team that's losing Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark, who both left early and will be picked in the first round and likely the lottery. Josh Perkins was a senior, and so it, that team will be led by Zach Norvell and Killian Tilly. Um, maybe not quite as much firepower as um, last year's team, but still should be a top, top 20, probably top 15 team. Um, and then we also saw, you know, Providence, their best player from last season, Alpha Diallo, I think was always expected to come back and is coming back and gives them a chance to be a top 30 or so team. I was looking at, uh, Andy Katz's, he does like a top 36 occasionally, and he did one after the announcements and he had seven biggies teams in the top 36. So that's a, uh, a good amount. Miles Powell came back to, um, to Villanova, to Seton Hall. Uh, Villanova feels a little bit overrated this year. They they weren't that good last year, and they lost Phil Booth and um, Eric Pascal, but they seem to be higher um, this year. They also lost Ma- Martin Crample, who was one of... Oh, sorry, and then Creighton is a team that also ranked in that area. They lost Martin Crample to the draft, uh, maybe a little bit unexpectedly. Um, but, yeah, I'm just looking through this list. Maybe I, I want to go through the uh, Gary Parrish's top 25 and one. And you know, let me know who you think who's might be a little overrated or underrated. Um, so here's here's who he has: Michigan State, Duke, Kentucky, Louisville, Maryland. That's top five. We talked about Maryland, Louisville briefly already. Yeah, it so feels the, high for them. Yeah, next three, four, five, and six, and Memphis is six. Those both feel like they could be right, or they could just be way, way over the top, too high. Uh, North Carolina seven, Virginia eight, Gonzaga nine, um, and then number ten is Seton Hall, which feels only a little bit high. I mean, I know that I know they return a lot, um, yeah. and they also have some kind of transfers coming in and playing, um, but it feels a little high. Uh, they should be really big team next year. They have uh, Ike Obiagu coming in, as long as along with Romero Gill coming back, they're gonna have some some size. Uh, and Villanova eleven again, it feels a little bit high, you know. Th- they're, this is their team next year. Colin Gillespie, solid guard, not spectacular. Sadiq Bey, who has a good year as a freshman. Jermaine Samuels will probably be their best player. Demir Cosby Roundtree, okay, he's fine. Cole Swider's a shooter. Um, and then they're bringing in Brian Antoine and Jer- Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who are good freshmen. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is the son of Lester Earl, former uh, Kansas uh, player, LSU uh, recruit at one point. Uh, if, uh, maybe they're just like, and then Kansas is 12th, and, and I'm like, uh, Kansas, they look good, sure, um, but they don't have yeah. a lot of depth. I guess the um, question is, if you're not those teams, what teams are going to slide up above them? Like, is Texas Tech, who's losing a bunch of people again, are they yeah. going to slide up? Are you going to slide up Auburn, uh, like other teams here, yeah, like Iowa, Purdue, yeah. Purdue, who's Carson Edwards? 
Um, like, who's going to slide up? Baylor is losing Makai Mason, King mm-hmm. McClure. Um, they seem to be pretty well coached. But, like, yeah, I guess the question is, if these teams aren't in the top 25 or in that right spot, who goes above them? That's the question. Like, yeah. I think Carol. I mean, Carolina. You just put you. You could just never go wrong by saying, "Well, Michigan State seems to be the contest number one." Then just the Duke, Kentucky, Carolina in some order, and then yeah, just go from there. And then Gonzaga. Kansas generally yeah, tends Kansas, to be Gonzaga, really, really good yeah. too. Yeah, Gonzaga's yeah. never Virginia. Bad you know, is another yeah. team with a pedigree pick, and I think Texas Tech at this point is kind of a pedigree pick. Yeah. And and probably Purdue. You know, Purdue is a team that pretty much is never bad anymore. At least, uh, I mean, I, they did have some more down years, but if you look at Purdue, let me look at their. They lost a lot off of two years ago's team, and they still were a number, a top ten Kempom team last year. If you look at um, Matt Painter's record, they've been a top five seed in the NBA in the in the NCAA tournament for the last four seasons. Uh, so I would expect them to be a top five seed again. But you know, the question is, I think the question is less who will be a top five seed. It's more who are going to be the teams besides Duke, Kentucky, and Michigan State that will actually be the top teams in America. I think that's the big, that's going to be the, the intriguing kind of storyline. Will it be these kind of strange teams like Louisville and Maryland or this out of nowhere team like Memphis, or will it be your North Carolina, your Gonzaga, your Virginia, your Kansas, um, or, or like the new, or like Villanova, maybe Villanova is going to be again back in that role and in that spot, despite losing probably their two best players. Um, I guess that's why they play the games, but yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see if anything else to talk about. No. Say, yeah, nothing. We're good. We'll save Mamadi, the rule changes for another yeah. show. Mamadi Diakite, yeah, Mamadi Diakite is transferring back. Is it going back to Virginia? Um, yeah. He has had the huge shot in the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, Kerry Blackshear, we mentioned it, he was in the NBA draft. He pulled out. Now he's going to uh, be a grad he, transfer. Yeah, and so Kentucky was the leading candidate at one point. He's, he will be the best transfer on the market. Um Desmond Bain is back at TCU, which that program had lost a lot. Uh, Yoli Childs is a good player at BYU, could be uh, an important player for them. Jaron Cumberland, a little surprising to me, comes back to Cincinnati. He will be the best returning player in Conference USA. Um, let's see if there's anyone else on this list that we want to call out. Uh, Peyton Pritchard's back at Oregon. Um Quentin Gooden returns to Xavier. T.J. Gibbs, part of that Gibbs family, Sterling Gibbs and Ashton Gibbs. He's back at Notre Dame. Kellen Grady, back at Davidson, quite a good player um, for in that program. Uh, John Axel Goodmanson, also back at Davidson. So that should be a good team next year. Yeah. Um, they could have lost a lot more. Um, everyone returned to Xavier, so people are now really high on Xavier. Um, Najee Marshall came back as well as Tyreek Jones. So that could be a really good team. Some people have in the top 20 entering the season uh one kind of down year for Xavier Bound they're back and playing well and uh Jalen Pickett is an interesting player he's at Siena we don't know about Siena much but he was incredible last year if you look at Jalen Pickett's uh Ken Palm maybe we'll end the end the show on Jalen Pickett because that's that's yeah. where the ratings come from oh, yeah. um yeah if you look at, at uh, the Ken Palm comps for Jalen Pickett who played for last year for the 27th ranked team in college basketball in Siena under Jamie on Christian who did such a good job with so little talent that he went on to George Washington. Uh, Jalen Pickett, as a freshman, his Kempom comps. After, I've had to log into Kempom like 12 times during the show. This is ridiculous. Uh, anyway, uh, number one, Markel Fultz. Number two, uh, Dennis Smith. 
Uh, number five, Cameron Payne. Number three and four are, are Milton Doyle and John and Wanya Green. I don't really know, but Markel Fultz and Devon and Dennis Smith are your top two freshman year comps. I know they've had mixed NBA careers, but they're not bad. It's interesting when a Sienna player on a team that was not in the top fifty in two fifty in Kempom. Uh, could do that. He was number five in the country in assist rate last year. He made 65 threes. He had a super high um, uh, usage and also was a top top steals guy and even had a lot of block shots at 6'4". So anyway, player to watch at Siena, Jalen Pickett. Um, so when you, you, know, pl- you mean, yeah, go for it. I was going to say, did you know Siena played back-to-back games where they lost 57-52, then lost 107-100, albeit in three overtimes in the second game? Well, that 107-100 game was interesting because the the team they lost to in Quinnipiac, the guy had like 50 points. Uh, Cameron Young had 55 points in that game, including nine threes uh, double in the triple overtime game. And in that game, Jalen Pickett, we just mentioned, had 46 points, um, 13 assists, four steals. Um, so Jalen Pickett One turnover, is, too. Not bad. I, I, I figure probably Jalen Pickett is the best player returning to the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, but uh, maybe someone can... By the way, four, four turnovers for the team and 55 minutes of basketball. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> Caleb Wesson is back at Ohio State. Joe Wieskamp is back at Iowa. Those are good players in, a, in that conference. I, I don't I, I don't know. And Lamar Stevens is back at Penn State, another guy in that conference. Um, I, I don't know if those guys are considering actually going, but they're not going. So... Um, so anyway, Tyler Cook is going at Iowa, so they they got they lost one and they gained one. Um, but I, I'm I'm guessing most schools knew in advance. There weren't that many surprises. It'd be interesting to have a story about who were the biggest actual surprises to like their fan bases and their teams. But you see the names and you're like, oh, I remember, I recognize that name. Uh, but there we are. We had we know the rosters for the most part now entering next season, and so now we can think about um, how much uh, I don't know how much we want Memphis to underachieve. That would be that'll be the story of the year. Have to listen to Gary Parish like yeah. every three times a week talk about Memphis. Ugh. That's what we're tracking here on the double bonus pod. Yeah, our main concern is not having to hear uh, Gary Parish brag about how he was the first person to say that Penny Hardaway should be the uh, head coach, next head coach at Memphis. That's what I want to. I don't want to hear that anymore. Yeah, shots fired. Uh, yeah, no, but, but we uh, love. Uh, <laughs> we do. He's great, but you know, it's he like has, people are, he has people like are tired. People are tired of hearing me talk about how Rick Barnes coached Providence, too, I'm sure. Like, all yeah. 25 people listen to the podcast, except that he has you know thousands of people listening to his podcast. And his radio anyway, show. tell your friends, rate, review, subscribe, uh, follow, us at, follow us at Double Bonus Pod, email us at DoubleBonusPod at gmail.com. Um, if you have ideas or things you want to talk about, send us on Twitter or email. And uh, any last words for the uh, intelligentsia before we sign off, Tom? Uh, no. Enjoy the rest of uh, your weekend. And... Uh... Yeah, we're only like what four months away from college basketball season. Yeah, it's it's a short off season. I mean, actually, July, no, it's August, actually really September, long October. Yeah, four <laughs> months. Yeah, to, well, it's the longest. Soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Soccer's off season just started and will end next week. Yeah. Uh, good congratulations to uh, Liverpool yes. and, and uh, yeah, really and Tom, who's an Arsenal win. fan, who is very happy that the Spurs the Spurs lost. Yeah. Right. On that note, have a good one, Brendan. Later. I don't know about this place, man. I just stayed in my hotel room, man. Every time I look out my window, it's it's pretty depressing out here, man. It's bad. It's bad. So you don't, you're not going out? No. No going out in Cleveland, man. It's all factories. Do you regret anything that you said about Cleveland? Not at all. Do you like it? Do you think Cleveland's cool? I mean, I never heard anybody say I'm going to Cleveland on vacation.
What's so good about Cleveland? 